Uh, we have been in a series about forgiveness over the last couple of weeks, and truth be told, I was going to start a brand new series today, and we're gonna, we'll start that next week. We're going to be starting a series where we're going to be talking about work matters, and uh, I, I, growing up in church, I don't know that I ever heard a sermon or, it, you know, even several sermons that talk about our, you know, we spend more of our time at work than we do almost any other place, and so we'll spend a couple of weeks talking about work, but I had a number of you talk to me about an aspect of forgiveness that I hadn't really thought about, um, and it started with one email where a guy said, I, I need help forgiving God. And, and you say that, and you, you say that out loud, and save your stones, don't throw them at me yet, I'm, we're not going to get into heresy, but I think there's some people that the disappointment that they feel that God hasn't done what they expected him to do. Maybe we go through hurts. We go through, a lot of you in this room are grieving. I mean, even very fresh grief that is here. And maybe some of you have gone through abuse and you've been the victim of abuse. Or there's just so many things that can happen in life. And you, you, just, you just look around and you go, God, like, where are you? And God, don't you care? And, and yes, we know theologically. We understand that God is sovereign, that he's eternal, that he's immutable, that all, the, all these great aspects of who God is and that we, in comparison, are nothing, right? I mean, compared to God and apart from Christ, I am sin-stained, sin-covered, helpless, broken, powerless. And so even the idea that a mere sinful mortal can look at God and say, I'm angry at you, I get, I get the theological ramifications of that, right? But sometimes it just feels like I know all the scripture, I know that God, you know, works for the good of those who love him. Like, I, I know all the things that people will say, and yet there is a frustration that God hasn't come through. Particularly if you grew up with a theology that if you do A and you do B, that God owes you C, that can really mess with you when you've done A and you've done B and there's no C. Like, God, where are you? What is going on? And then we look at the word of God and, and we begin to see characters in the word of God, people like, like the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension. And it all starts so powerful in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And they go, oh man, we're a part of something epic. This is going to be awesome. And then they begin to see the persecution come from the Roman Empire, from the Jewish temple. And, and they begin to see their friends losing lives and being imprisoned and property being confiscated and, and people being tortured and stoned. We know all of Jesus' disciples ended up dying except for John, and they tried to kill him. We know the apostle Paul went through horrendous things as he followed Jesus. So, so, so we, we, we know these things, and yet there can be great frustration and even bitterness that begins to grow up inside of us that, God, why is it that the wicked get ahead? Why is it that politicians can do whatever they want to do and they can break laws and they can do all this stuff and it seems like nothing ever happens to them, CEOs of companies? Why is it that the bad guys, that they seem to prosper and it just seems like, like I'm trying to be righteous here. I'm trying to be holy and like where's the reward for me? Maybe you've never felt that way but I promise you that there's some in this room who have felt that. And we have a bitterness, and not just a bitterness at other people like we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, but there's a bitterness that begins to develop even toward God. You know, the original lie of the enemy, all the way back when Adam and Eve were walking and 
Remember the lie of the serpent? And the, the lie of the serpent was, did God really say? Like from the very beginning, the serpent, the enemy, has been trying to cast doubt on the character of God. Can you really love God? Can you really trust God? Does he really love you? Does he really have your best interest at heart? Or is this some kind of cosmic joke? And so instead of piling more guilt on you, instead of this being a sermon that would condemn you for that, I, I just want to let you know there are plenty of characters in the Word of God who voice that same frustration. And here's the principle, in fact, this is the principle of the whole sermon, that in that bitterness of your heart, can I challenge you to move toward God? It's so counterintuitive, everything inside of you, when it feels like life isn't fair, when it feels like God hasn't come through on his end of the bargain, everything inside of me wants to jet. Everything inside of me wants to say, I'm done, I give up, this isn't worth it, I'm not following God anymore, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Like, everything inside of me wants to move in the direction of distancing myself from God. Here's what I want to challenge you. In those moments, can I challenge you, instead, draw near to God Move toward God with your complaints, with your frustrations, with your anger, with your bitterness. Move toward God. And I'm telling you, there's so many characters in the Word of God. We're going to be looking in a moment at Psalm 73, and that's going to be our main text for this morning. But can I tell you, apart from the Psalms, there's all kinds of characters. Jeremiah, Job. If you've been reading in the Bible in one year app, which a number of us started on January 1st, and by the way, you can start that any day of the year. You don't have to wait until January 1st, 2024 to start that. Like, you can, you can start today, bibleinoneyear.org, bibleinoneyear, all one word, .org is a great place to go. And those of you who have been reading the Bible in one year, we've been in Job. In fact, yesterday, Carrie said, I feel like we've been in Job forever. Like, I'm going to need a counselor if we stay in Job too much longer, right? Like, you're like, oh my goodness, can this guy get any more negative? The Job, here's a guy who was living righteous. In fact, it's because he was living righteous that the enemy comes in and says, hey, I bet if you take away some of his stuff, he won't be so righteous. And God allows the enemy to come in and, and, and he, he takes all, I mean, he takes his life in so many ways, except for he still is alive. In Friday's reading, Job chapter 30, this isn't up on your screen, but this is something that I wrote down. In, in Job chapter 30, verses 20 and 21, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. He's speaking to God. This is Job, a man who has lived righteously, and he's going, you turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. Verse 26, yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. Like here's Job saying, God, I don't understand. I don't get this. I don't know what's going on here. Can I tell you, when you feel that way, move toward God. Take your complaints to God. Don't distance yourself. Don't run from him. Go to him with all of your frustrations. We're going to be in Psalm 73. In fact, in a moment, we're going to read it. And, and some of you, you're going, oh, it must be one of those three-verse psalms. No, we're going we're gonna to read the entire psalm, and you're going to, in a moment, be like, how much is he going to read? Psalm 73, as you're turning to Psalm 73, this is a psalm written by a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader of Israel for a period of time, and, and Asaph wrote some beautiful just, um, you know, songs of worship, songs of praise to God. But, but Asaph also wrote some psalms where he keeps it real. 
And we're going to pick up in, in Psalm chapter 73. Um, hopefully, is everybody there? Or just act like you are? Otherwise, I'm going to take, a long, take longer. Psalm 73. We begin with verse 1. In the introduction of it, you go, oh, this is going to be a nice, safe passage of Scripture. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Oh, that's a good verse. We can, we can knit that on a pillow and put it in our... our that's, that's a good one, right? But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Okay, wait a second. Sounds like things are getting a little interesting here. He says, yeah, we know that about God. We know theologically all this stuff about God. But there was a time in my life, this is Asaph speaking, where, man, I, I, I started slipping. I started not knowing what, what I believed about the goodness of God. He describes what happens in verse 3 and on. He says, for I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. So there's these pride, proudful individuals around him. They're wicked. They're doing everything against God. And yet they're prospering. He says they, speaking of these prideful, wicked people, he says they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. Verse 7 these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. Verse 10, and so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? What does the Most High even know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people. Enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then he really gets real in verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Think he's being real here? Any of you ever felt maybe a tinge of this before? Yes. He says, if I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed completely swept away by tears. Verse 20, when you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. And I love verse 23, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. So what in the world? Some of you are sitting there going, okay, nice psalm, nice song, whatever you call that thing. Like, I mean, okay, but how does that relate to what I'm going through? I want you to know first that we have characters throughout the Bible, even unknown characters. Probably most of you walked in this room and you never knew anything about Asaph. There's so many characters in the Bible who expressed their frustration to God and God can handle it. And God can handle you expressing your frustration as well. He can take it. He would much rather that you draw near to him and bring your frustration to him than for you to just walk away and ignore him and not even, not even act like he's there. But one of the things you see in this passage is that Asaph goes from needing to feeling like he, he needs to forgive God to actually asking God to forgive him. And with the rest of our time together, I want to look at five confessions that maybe, just maybe, at least one of these are confessions that you need to make to God in the midst of your bitterness, in the midst of your anger toward him. Maybe one of these is something you need to pay attention to. So let's get into these. Here's five confessions. Maybe you'll resonate with at least one of these. The first one is forgive me when I'm blinded by the unfairness of life. Forgive me. God, forgive me when I am blinded by the unfairness of life. Look at what he said in verse 2. He says, but I nearly missed it. Missed seeing his goodness, the goodness of God. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have it made, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. You, if you've been around Journey, you've heard me say something. It's probably one of the, my most repeated mantras that I, that I say all the time. We move in the direction of our focus. My focus, what I'm focusing on, really does determine my destination. And I think for way too many of us, we become obsessed with the news. We become obsessed with the injustices that are going on around us. There were several years ago where there was a woman, she doesn't attend Journey, she hasn't attended Journey in years. There's a woman who came in a journey one morning and she literally had her Fox News app on where she was walking to her seat. I watched her from the time she walked in the doors, had her live news app on all the way to sitting down and had it on until the service started. Can you say obsessed? Or can you say addicted? We, be, we can become addicted to the news and whatever, whatever news source it is. We, we can become so addicted. Can I tell you, it's not healthy for our brains. We were not wired to instantly know the news of every event going around around the world as soon as it happens. We're not wired for that. We don't have, you don't have to, you don't have to um, emotionally invest yourself in every injustice that happens around the world at every moment. You just don't. And listen, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. Especially, man, thank God for a democratic republic. Thank God for the opportunities we have to be citizens and not just to be victims of what goes on around us. We can be involved. I love that in our church alone we have a number of people in elected office. That is incredible. And we need more Christians involved in the process. But can I tell you, we can become addicted and obsessed with the injustices that are going on around us. We should be involved 
We should pray. We should be active in those events that we can be active. But at the end of the day, I have to say, God, I trust in you. And forgive me when I've been so blinded by the injustices and the unfairness of life. Number two. Maybe that resonated for you. Maybe it didn't. That's all right. Maybe number two will. Number two, forgive me when I do the right thing for selfish gain. Forgive me when I do the right thing for selfish gain. Verse 13, this is one that haunts me. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? See, Asaph is having a pity party because he's been doing all the right things. He's been righteous, he's been moral, he goes to church every day, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't chew, he doesn't go with girls who do. Like, Asaph's doing everything right, okay? And yet it seems for naught. It seems like everybody else is getting ahead who are wicked and vile and, and commit injustice. Asaph's doing all, and he goes, he actually says what, out loud what so many of us think, but we would never say out loud. Did I keep myself pure for nothing? Like, God, are you, are you just not even keeping track at all? Haven't you seen the sacrifices that I've made? I remember early on in our marriage, Carrie and I, this year we'll be married 23 years, and so this is a while back. But we were just kind of trying to get the handles on our finances. And so we, we, we fully went on board with Dave Ramsey's, you know, principles. And, and uh, you know, we immediately got $1,000 in savings. And then we attacked our debts. And, and, and over a course of time, I mean, we're, we're just, we're living like no one else now so we can live like no one else later, right? I mean, the whole, do, just doing the whole thing, right? And I remember, you know, a couple years into this and we're, we're attacking debt. We're giving 10%. We're saving 10%. And, and I remember we had some close friends who were also Christians also part of our church they had heard the same teachings that we did and it's like they went in the opposite direction (laughs) I don't give anything to the church that's my money to spend. I mean, flat out, like, started telling me some of these things, and, and, and they, were, they would drive, like, the best vehicles, and they'd have the best technology and everything. And I remember actually getting bitter. And the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back was when, I mean, they had just gone totally in debt because they wanted everything that their parents had worked 30 years they wanted it all right now, and they wanted all the new stuff, and they wanted their home to be fu- fully furnished, and, you know, that whole deal. And I remember that the straw that broke the camel's back was when they got bailed out. I was like, seriously, this is how this works? I, I, remember, I, I remember thinking, did I keep my heart pure? Did I, did I follow the, these things for nothing? Like, it, it, should I have just gone in debt? Should I have just, you know, not given? Should I have just done all this? And, and I guess you get ahead that way. I remember uh, reading The Prodigal Son, probably one of Jesus' most famous stories that he ever told. You can find this in Luke chapter 15. Maybe you haven't heard the story. I'll give you just the, the, you know, the abbreviated version is that there's this rich, wealthy landowner. I mean, this guy's like a you know, millionaire, right? He's got two boys. One day, one of his sons, they're now you know, college age. One of his sons walks in his office and says, hey, dad, um, I'd, like, I'd like my portion of the inheritance now, if you don't mind. Now, in the ancient culture, maybe that does anything to you. In the ancient culture, it's basically he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could just have my inheritance now so I wouldn't have to wait. And this man does something shocking. This millionaire does something shocking. He goes, all right, I'll give it to you. You can have it. The young man goes out. He takes the money. He moves away, moves to the big city. I mean, he just, let me, he lives 
He lives like there's no tomorrow, right? I mean, he just, squ- and he squanders it all. It's, I mean, just, he, he, he spends this money so quickly, you can't even imagine. Comes at a place of bankruptcy, comes at a place of not having anything, comes to a census, says, you know what, I'm going to go back to the Father. The Father receives him. The Father receives him in a way that would just blow our minds. Like, we couldn't even imagine. The Father throws this huge party. I mean, he spends tens of thousands of dollars on the food. He's got the best DJ. I mean, it's, I mean this is a party. This is a, this is a party everybody wants to be at, right? People from all over town are at this party. Incredible food. Prime rib. Not some, you know, rubber chicken dinner. But, I mean, it's, it's like good stuff, right? Prime rib. The father looks around, the father looks around, and he notices somebody is absent from this party, and it's the older brother. It's like, man, that, where, where's my other son? Hunts him down, finds the older son, and he says, hey, didn't you know we have a party? And the, the son's like, I knew you had a party. You can hear it across town. Like, I knew, I knew it was a party. Why aren't you at the party? You really want to know I'm not at the party? Luke 15, verse 29, this is the older son. He replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this, and this is interesting how he says this, yet when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? I, I got to be honest, this, this story has hit me so many times in my walk with Christ where God has said, you, Ken, are the older brother in this story. God, did I keep myself pure for no reason? Like, like I begin to do the right thing, everybody sees you doing the right thing, but in the back of your mind it's like, what am I going to get for this? Is anybody watching? Is anybody paying attention? Look at the response of the father. The father said to him, look to your son. You have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The realization was that the older son could have had anything anytime he ever wanted. He could have had parties for his friends. He could have enjoyed what his father had. God, forgive me. When I do the right things for selfish gain. Number three, forgive me when I drift away from you. Look at verse 16. He says, so I tried to understand. We're back in Psalm 73, by the way. Some of you are going, where is he now? We're going to keep going back to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. That'll keep you up at night, won't it? Especially when there's a name, when it's not just a generalization, the wicked, but when it's actually a name that you're thinking of, someone that you know. I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task it is. Look at the answer, verse 17, very next verse. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He does something so counterintuitive. He's trying to figure out why in the world are the wicked getting ahead? And he does something. He moves toward God. And as he moves toward God, as he gets in God's presence, as he prioritizes the presence of God, all of a sudden things click for him that had never clicked. 
Can I tell you, in that moment of bitterness of heart, in the moment when there's a complaint that you have against God, in the moment when you're looking at other people and comparing your life to other people and to their situations, can I so challenge you to physically find a place of prioritizing God's presence? It's one of the reasons why being in church is such a big deal. It's not about the sermon. It's not even about the worship. There's something about when we gather together, we know that God's presence is here and God does something inside of our hearts and he challenges us. He encourages us. Sometimes he rebukes us as the word of God is opened and presented. It is so important that we physically go to find the place of God's presence. But can I tell you, on other days when the church isn't open, there's other places you can go to find the presence of God. But I'm just challenging you to get out of where you are and to move to a different place of searching for God's presence. For me, it's been driving 30 minutes up to, to the lake and sitting on a bench right on Lake Erie and just sitting there and just saying, God, I don't know what's going on. I gotta get out of my house. I gotta get out of this situation. I gotta get away from social media. I gotta get away from the news channel and I gotta find a place where I can just be in God's presence. For me, I love, we, we have the, one of the best park systems in our county. The Sandusky County Parks are incredible. There's trails all over the place. There's a bike trail. Find a place where you can just get by yourself, even if it's 10 degrees outside. I'm telling you, there's something powerful that happens. In the book of Genesis, there's this time where Abraham is just in this place of confusion. God had made him promises. He didn't understand what was going on. And God tells him something so interesting. He says, Abraham, go outside. Abraham must have been like, that was a weird prompting. Like, is that really God? Does God really want me to go outside? He goes outside and God says, okay, now that I've got you outside, I want you to look up. He says, see all those stars? I'm telling you, I'm with you, Abraham. I'm telling you, I know it seems like nothing's going on. I know it seems like you're just wasting your life away here, but I'm telling you, there's a destiny, there's a purpose in all this. There's something powerful about getting into the presence of God. It's in the midst of being in God's presence that the light bulb may finally come on. For Asaph, he realized that God was not deaf or blind to injustice. For Asaph, it was realizing that, that, that God is going to make all things right. It just doesn't happen according to our timetable. And I, that is so frustrating, isn't it? Like, I want God to deal with injustice the moment that the injustice happens. But for whatever reason, and God knows way better than I do, it doesn't happen the way I think it should happen, in the timing that I think it should happen. But can I remind you, God sees things in a scope that you and I just can't even begin to see. I said a couple weeks ago in this series on forgiveness, and I, I want to reiterate this because I think it's such an incredible, important um, point that God has just encouraged me with. I think one of the reasons, especially in the American church, why we struggle so hard with forgiveness, and it really is a Western thing. You go, you go and talk to some of our friends who are believers in third world countries and stuff, they just don't have the same problem with forgiving that we do. It's really interesting. But I think one of the reasons why the American church, why we Christians in the American church struggle so much with forgiveness is because we've stopped believing in an eternal destination of heaven and hell. The American church, by law, Christians, 
in the American church, we would never say this out loud. Even as I say it, you're going to say, I don't believe that. But we live as if we believe this. We really have begun to believe that this life is the end-all, be-all. And so all of our priorities, all of our financial investment goes into this life, all of our energy, all of our time, all of our emotional, we, we are all about this life. And God is saying, listen, this life is a blip on the radar. There is a heaven, an eternity in the presence of God, a new heavens and a new earth where we will eat and we will dance and we will explore. And the second to last chapter of Ezekiel says we will fish. Can I get an amen? It's going to be a physical place. You're not going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp for all of eternity. It's going to be a physical place. It's going to be an incredible place. And sometimes we have to be reminded of that in what we're going through. Sometimes we have to dig in and say, God, I thank you. I don't understand what's going on. I, there's a bitterness in my heart. I look at how this is going down with this person, how it's going down with them, how, how they're getting ahead, even though they're, God, I, but I thank you that you will make all things right. Listen, not only is there eternity in heaven, there's an eternity in hell, a place of eternal damnation, of punishment, of separation from God. An eternity And those who have committed injustices, if they don't turn to God and receive the grace of God, they will spend forever in hell. And that sobers me. When I'm just angry that somebody's getting away with something, I have to stop and ask myself, do I really believe that God is a perfect judge? That he really will make all things right? That there really is such a thing as a vengeance of God? And I just got to trust him. God, forgive me when I forget for my anger at you when you don't take care of issues according to my timetable. Number four, here's a confession. God, forgive me when I let bitterness into my life. Look at, look at what he says in verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. When I allow bitterness, uh, bitterness just starts as this small little seed. And when I let it begin to take root and I let it begin to grow, bitterness will cause me to say things that I would never ordinarily say. And it causes me to do things that I would ordinarily never do. And you've experienced this. Maybe you haven't done it, but you've experienced the wrath of another person. Bitterness causes me to say something, to react to somebody who has nothing to do with the reason why I'm even bitter. I take it out on people who have nothing to do with the situation at all. God, forgive us when we let bitterness into our lives. The writer of Hebrews, and this is, this is years after Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. The writer of Hebrews, he's writing to followers of Jesus. He says this. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Just pause right there. He's writing to followers of Jesus. He's writing after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, and he says, man, here's something really important. Make sure that you and the people around you don't miss the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is that 
He, in his incredible love and compassion, shows unmerited goodness and kindness and mercy to me. I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. In fact, everything that I've done in my life has been opposed to him. I've rebelled against him. I've thought that I know better than him. I've lived selfishly. I've been jealous. I've been greedy. Like, I've, I've lived a life totally opposed to him. And in his love and kindness, he says, I am going to show mercy to you. I'm going to show compassion to you that you don't deserve. And he doesn't just say this. He demonstrates it in sending Jesus to go to the cross, to die, to take the punishment of my sin upon himself. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, this is really important, follower of Jesus in this room. It's really important. See to it that you and the people that you know, the followers of Jesus around you, see to it that you don't miss the grace of God. And I think to myself, well, how could we miss it? How could we miss the grace of God? He says that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And there it is. That's how we can miss it. We can miss the grace of God because we're looking in a different direction. Instead of focusing my attention on who Jesus is and what he's done for me and his love and his mercy, I begin to fix my attention on this person over here. And I begin to compare myself and I compare my life with other people. And bitterness begins to grow. And here's the danger. It can cause me and it can cause you and it can cause the people that you love, followers of Jesus, to miss the grace of God. If there's bitterness in your heart, confess it. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive the person and the circumstances. Ask him to give you the grace to forgive them. Number five, here's a fifth confession. Forgive me when I forget my identity in you. Forgive God, forgive me when I forget my identity in you. After confessing his bitterness and his senselessness, Asaph comes to this startling realization. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, yet, and I love this yet here, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. See, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and Asaph realizes that God has been holding him all along. But because of his preoccupation with injustice, because of his anger at not getting what he thought he deserved, because of his inability to see the whole picture, ultimately because of the bitterness in his own heart, Asaph didn't see the most important thing, that God had been holding him. And I want you to know that God is holding you that you belong to him, that even when you don't see it, that he is guiding you, leading you to a glorious destiny. I think this issue of identity is so important. I think it's one of the areas that the enemy attacks ruthlessly. He attacks your identity in Christ. And I don't just say this because I have a hunch. I say it because I've experienced it. A number of years ago, Carrie has this uh, machine, it's called a cricket. Have you guys ever heard of these? Cuts out like vinyl letters. Some of you, some of you have crickets in your homes. She, she, in vinyl letters, put these words up on a wall in our bedroom. And every day when I wake up, I see this wall and I see these statements. I am blessed. I am loved. I am chosen. I am set apart. I am without fault. I've been adopted as God's own child. 
I've been immersed in grace. I am free. I am redeemed. I am delivered. I am forgiven. I am completely pardoned. I am lavish with kindness, wisdom, and understanding. Why, why does she put that in the wall in our bedroom? Because this pastor needs to every day wake up and say, I'm not who the enemy says that I am. Every day I have to, I have to intentionally, because if I don't, if, if there's not intention behind it, I, won't, I have to intentionally remind myself of who I am in Christ. I'm not in Adam anymore. I'm in Christ. I'm not in sin anymore. I'm in grace. I'm not in death anymore. I'm in life. I'm not in condemnation anymore. I'm in righteousness. I'm not in captivity anymore. I'm in freedom. I have to intentionally remind myself, this is who I am. And God, forgive me when I lose sight of my identity in you. And in that moment that I lose my identity, it's so much easier for bitterness to grow in that place. There's this artist who does this incredible job. In a moment, we'll show you a video of it, but just let me describe it first. There's this artist who will take trash. He'll just take like senseless things and he, he will hang. He'll spend forever doing this. He'll hang them in intentional places. And when you come into the gallery, if you move to just the right place and stand there and look from just the right angle, you'll see something incredible. Uh, Riley, let's show this, this video. This is, this is crazy. I love how the message paraphrases verses 16 and 17. Just keep this image up there. Listen to this. He says, when I tried to figure it out, this is Asaph speaking. He says, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. You ever been there? Just trying to figure out, you know, why some people get ahead, trying to figure out, all, comparing all this stuff. I got a splitting headache. And then this is what he says. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture then, then I saw the whole picture. Listen, I'm not even promising that you're going to see the whole picture here and now. For some of you, you will live your whole life and you'll say, I, it's fuzzy. <laughs> I, can see, I can see some good in this. Can I just say that regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what has happened in your life, regardless of the, the, the abuse, the injustice, the loss, the sorrow. Someone that you love, that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, and one day they just ditch you for somebody else. That God is still holding you, and he still loves you, and that he is with you. You're not abandoned. You're not forgotten. You may not understand. You may get a splitting headache when you sit there trying to figure it out. But someday... He's going to say, come here, my child. Come here. No, no, no. Come. You got to stand right here. Now get a little lower. Now look. There you go. Wow. Wow. I love Genesis 1, verse 2. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's cool. Okay. I love verse 2. That over the chaos of the unformed world, over the darkness... That the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit is the first member of the Trinity mentioned in Scripture. I think that's kind of cool. 
the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos, over the unformed world. Can I promise you this? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. The Holy Spirit is hovering. He's with you. He loves you. Don't distance yourself. The enemy would love for you just to say, I'm done, I'm out. I don't believe in God. He would love for you just to say, I'm not even talking anymore. Here's, can I just challenge you, move toward him. I remember as a young adult at Orange Grove in Lakeland, Florida, and walking into that Orange Grove and just screaming, just screaming. You know, God didn't, God didn't go, how dare you, young man? He drew near to me because I was drawing near to him, even with my anger, with the bitterness, with the clouded vision, with not understanding the whole thing. As I drew near to him, he drew near to me. And he will draw near to you. Would you stand to your feet? Listen, I want to pray for you. And I'm gonna do something that might weird you out, it might trip your weird meter a little bit, but can I tell you there's something about, I've been through so many seasons in my life where I can't, I can't pray. I've been a pastor of a church and been hit by something where I can't even pray. And here's the beautiful thing, the church is one another. The church is that others pray for me when I can't pray for myself. And maybe you're here and we don't need to know the reasons. Nobody's judging. If anybody in this room is judging, you're in the wrong place. You need to go somewhere. I promise you there's other churches that would gladly take your judgment. I don't know who they are. I'm not saying that. That's stupid. Okay? That, I shouldn't have said that. I'm just saying this needs to be a place where we're not looking around. Oh, I wonder why this person's responding. I wonder what, what their deal is. That's, that's not, that's, can we just say that's not what this is about? If you're here and you just say, Ken, I, there's some things going on in life. I don't understand them. Truth be told, I don't understand where God is at. Will you just raise your hand? Yeah. Now in the front, you can't see it because you're afraid to raise your hand because you can't see the other people. But in the back, there's hands all over the place. So I just want you to know this is a safe place. If you're around someone who has their hand up right now, would you just move toward them? You might need to move across the room. I'd really love to have somebody just with a hand on a shoulder. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to put your hand on their forehead and start shoving it down. Just, just any, everybody who has a hand up, there's someone near you. Wave your hand at me. I'll move. I need over there. You guys need some people. Can I have some people go to this section over here? There's like three or four hands up right over here. Literally, we might have to move to do this, guys. Okay, church members, those who are part of our church family, get out of where you are, and we're going to move around to do this. Instead of asking people to come to us, we're going to go to them, because this is how one another works. This is how we love each other. Wave your hands if you need someone near you. Someone's not been praying with you. Over, you're over there. Yeah. This is why we exist, guys. This is why one another one another. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to go through this alone. I'm going to come to you in just a minute. No one's coming to you. I'm going to come to you in just a minute, all right? Can you just start praying? You'd say, I've never prayed out loud. This is wacky. This is weird. Just pray for God's help, God's presence.
So, Father, I just echo the prayers that are being prayed all over this room. I join my faith with the faith that's being expressed all over this room. And, God, I just ask, help us. This whole series hasn't been easy. Forgiveness is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. If forgiveness was easy, everybody would be healthy. Everybody would be emotionally whole. So God, empower us. Help us. God, I pray especially for the person in this room who's struggling to forgive you. They have bitterness toward you, anger toward you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you wrap your arms around them, God? Would you show them your love, show them your grace? God, give them a hunger for your presence. Give them a hunger, even this afternoon, maybe they need to go take a walk and just talk to you. Maybe they need to get out of where they are and find your presence. God, would you empower that? Father, I rebuke and renounce every lie of the enemy that would come against anybody in this room, anybody watching online. God, I pray your truth would echo in their hearts. As they draw near to you, God, that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way to them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. Amen.